0: you just sung about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you just sung about the return of our Savior in the air and you just sung about heaven and gazing into the face of God himself. You know, sometimes it's easy to sing. Sometimes it's easy to talk of those truths. But sometimes as Christians, we struggle with confidence in them. You know, a team that lacks confidence will struggle to win. A person who lacks confidence interviewing for a job will struggle to land that job. A child lacking confidence in learning how to ride a bike will struggle in learning how to ride a bike. People sometimes lack confidence in their faith. Is the Bible really, truly the word of the living God without any error in it? It's easy to say it. But do I believe it? Is there really life after death? Is there a place called heaven? And am I going there? And have others gone before me? And are they still alive? It's easy to say we believe it, but do we? Is Jesus really coming back? I know it's Christmas and we celebrate his first coming, but we've heard about his second advent and this coming. Is he really coming back? The world in which we live doesn't help our confidence they mock us as followers of jesus christ and they ridicule our beliefs and and they attack us with insulting doubt raising questions and accusations sometimes we need a spiritual coach we need a mentor we need an encourager someone to inspire us and this morning that person is the apostle peter and Peter is going to do just what Jesus commanded him to do in Luke twenty-two thirty-two. You, once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter takes this command to heart. And he has strengthened the disciples then, and now he continues to strengthen followers, disciples now through the inspired words of Scripture. And they're recorded for us in the book of Second Peter. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Second Peter as, as Peter helps us believe. And and keep on believing and grow in this unwavering confidence in who you are as God's child and what you have learned and what we hold to as followers of Jesus Christ. These words are recorded in 2 Peter chapter 1 as he undergirds us with this unwavering confidence. Confidence. He says in verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as as this was made known to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, and we ourselves heard this utterance. Made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter says, Be confident. Number one, be confident your faith is no fairy tale. Say it with me. Be confident your faith is no fairy tale. And verse 16 says, You did not, we did not follow cleverly devised tales. Now the world is filled with fairy tales. Peter's world was filled with fairy tales, the the Greek mythology and the Roman mythology and made-up stories of gods and goddesses and the origin of the universe and myths and legends and and fanciful stories embellished over time. Our world is filled with fairy tales and and not just the lore of Christmas legends and traditions that we hear propagated by the evil Hallmark Channel. But, but the, the fairy tales and the myths, from evolution, to aliens and UFOs, to missing links and Loch Ness monsters, to Sasquatches and Bigfoots. You know, this guy, the reigning hide-and-seek world champion. There he is, right there. The Bible is not a fairy tale. Say it with me. The Bible is not a fairy tale. Not a single solitary part of it is fake news. It's all faith news. It's all factual news. It is fact. Our Bibles are fact. From the creation account of Genesis 1-1, when God spoke this world into existence, to the triumphant return of Jesus Christ in the air in Revelation 22, come Lord Jesus. And everything in between it, Adam and Eve, fact, Noah and the ark, fact. Joshua and the walls of Jericho. David and Goliath. Jonah and the whale. Jesus and the resurrection. But Paul, like Peter here, is concerned for you. And he's concerned for me. Lest we be deceived by the world's lies. We see recorded in for us in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become what? Convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Read it with me. All scripture is inspired by God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be adequate equipped for every good work. So take confidence in the word of the living God and be convinced of the word of God. And he goes on in verse 16. When we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says I want you to understand something. The power of Jesus is real. Real. And the coming of Jesus is real. His power is real. There is no exaggeration what you read in the Bible. It is not hyperbole. It is not fairy tales. His power is real. He turned the water into wine. Real power. He calmed the storm. Real power. Jesus walked on water. He multiplied loaves and fish. He called forth the dead from the grave. Lazarus, come forth. And he has power to forgive you of your sins and to forgive me of my sins. That is real power. Jesus is the all-powerful God, creator of all, judge of all, and savior of all who will be saved. And some of you here this morning need Jesus to save you. Christmas is about Jesus coming to save he has the power to forgive your sins. Every single sin you have ever committed, he will forgive you. If you but humble yourself before this God who became a man to die on the cross for you and ask him to save you and ask him to forgive you, he will save you and forgive you. Know that the power of Jesus is real. Know that the coming of Jesus is real. His first coming was real. We celebrate this first advent. Prophesied long ago, Micah 5, 2, that he would be born in Bethlehem. One would go forth from me to be ruler in Israel as goings forth from long ago, from the days of eternity. How can he be from eternity? Because he is God. Prophesied before his coming in Micah. The way he would be born. Prophesied before his coming in Isaiah 4:7:14. 4, a virgin will be with child and bear a son and she will call his name what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. John would put it this way. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Mild he lay his glory by. Born that man no more may die. That's why he was born. To save you and to save me. His first coming was real. His second coming will be just as real. And we will learn of that in just a few moments. So, So be confident, Peter says unwavering confidence your faith is no fairy tale secondly be confident these are first-hand accounts say that with me be confident these are first-hand accounts so in other words what he's going to share with us is is not hearsay it's not conjecture it's not assumption he says listen second peter chapter 116 we were eyewitnesses of his majesty we saw it with our eyes We ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven. We heard it with our ears. When we were with him on the holy mountain, we were there present. So he saw, he knew, he experienced the power and the majesty and the glory of Jesus Christ. Where? He's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus took him and Peter and John and was transfigured before them. Now, Peter wasn't alone. He says, we saw, we heard, we were there. They beheld, Peter, James, and John, the radiant glory and splendor of Jesus Christ on that mountain. We are talking first-hand testimony is what we have here. Eyewitness, ear witness, present witness is what we have recorded for us. And Peter says, don't forget this. I'm giving you this first-hand The transfiguration is so important it is recorded in three of the four Gospels. We see it in Matthew 17, 1 through 8, Mark 9, 2 through 8, and Luke 9, 28 through 36. This highlights its importance, not only in the life of Jesus Christ, but it highlights the importance for my life and for your life in strengthening our confidence as believers and followers of Jesus. So what I want you to do right now is I want you to come to the mountain with me. And we're going to walk up this mountain with Peter, with James and John. And we're going to see what they saw. And we're going to hear what they heard. And we're going to be present with them. One of the accounts we are given is in Matthew 17. Read along as I read Matthew 17, starting in verse 1. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll I'll make three tabernacles here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He should have just kept his big mouth shut. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down onto the ground and were terrified. Jesus came to them and touched them and said, get up. Do not be afraid. Lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. Be confident your faith is no fairy tale. Be confident these are first-hand accounts. Be confident Jesus is coming back. Say it with me. Be confident Jesus is coming back. You need to understand the primary context of every single gospel account of the transfiguration that we have. The primary context is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Matthew 16, 28, truly I say to you, Jesus said, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. He's coming back. Mark 9, 1, Jesus was saying to them, truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Jesus is coming back. Luke 9, 27, until they see the, son, the kingdom of God. So this promise was fulfilled. At the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John get a glimpse of the coming power of God to this earth when he returns in glory to this earth. Talk about a confidence builder. This is a great confidence builder for the disciples. Why? Because very soon they will face the horrific reality of Jesus' death, torture, pain on that cross. And they will be able to look back at the transfiguration And say, this is not the end. He gave us a glimpse of what's to come. This, this is a confidence builder for you and for me. How many Star Wars fans we got here? Anybody? Woohoo, ready? Got Star Wars coming out. When's it coming out? Tell me. Yeah, some of you people know. How many of you have tickets already? Yeah, look at the hands. We got tickets all over the place. You guys are all excited. So you, know, you know, the movie, what they do is they release these trailers out and, and they've got a couple of them out there and it gets everybody pumped and everybody's ready to see it. I want you to understand what God has just done. The transfiguration is God's trailer. It's God's teaser. It's God's preview of the second coming of Jesus Christ. There is a blockbuster coming out that's going to be the sequel to his first coming and it's his second coming. And he's saying, I want you to get ready and I want you to get excited for what's going to take place. Here's the trailer, the transfiguration. Here's the preview, the transfiguration. I want you to understand what is going to happen in the future. You will behold the glory of Almighty God. Splendor beyond comprehension. Matthew 24, 27. Just as lightning comes from the east, flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. A radiant display of power from God Almighty. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him Talk about angelic hosts beyond number, angelic armies. God is coming. The Lord's coming in his glory. And it says here he will sit on his glorious throne. Listen, this is just God's teaser. This is just to whet our appetite for the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I'm coming back. This is what we're told is in Titus 2.13, the blessed hope, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the blessed hope, not landing that dream job that you hope to get. This is the blessed hope, not winning the lottery, which you shouldn't be playing anyway. This is the blessed hope, not Hoping to graduate from high school or college or graduate school. This is the blessed hope. Not hoping to be married or hoping to have children or hoping to have grandchildren. I'd like grandchildren. I would like grandchildren, yes. (laughs) But this is the blessed hope. The return of Jesus Christ in our lifetime. That's what we hope for. That's what we pray for. That's what we look for. There will always be mockers, though. Second Peter chapter 3, know this first of all, in the last days, mockers will come th- with their mocking, following after their own lusts, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. And you know what Peter says? Keep on mocking. Oh, I've seen it. He's coming. I've seen the trailer. He's coming. I've seen the preview. I've gotten the glimpse. I've witnessed it. More glorious than you could ever imagine is the transfiguration, this, second, this, this preview of the second coming. And the transfiguration is also a preview of the kingdom of Jesus. The disciples have been talking about God's kingdom and looking for God's kingdom and longing for God's kingdom. And they've been asking, "Now is now the time of your kingdom? You know what we need to do as followers of Jesus Christ? We need to dwell more on the kingdom of God because it's only when God's kingdom come will there truly be peace on earth and only then will righteousness truly reign when the Messiah is on his throne ruling over this world. We need to be more kingdom-minded as people. We need to talk more about God's kingdom and dream more of God's kingdom and look more for the coming kingdom of God. And you know what else we need to do? We need to pray about God's kingdom. Isn't that just how Jesus told us to pray? Matthew chapter 6. Pray this way. Your kingdom come. Is that how you pray? Oh God, give me this. Oh God, I need help here. Oh God, I don't know what to do. Oh God, when is the last time we prayed like Jesus commanded us to pray about his kingdom coming? I told you how to pray, Jesus said. One of the aspects of prayer that's very important to me is my kingdom coming. Are you praying about that? Pray. Thy kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So in other words, Scott, it's not about your kingdom. It's not about your kingdom. It's not about your kingdom. We get so wrapped up in our little kingdoms that come to nothing. Nothing. You and I are a speck. We're here like this. Then we're dead in the ground. Our bones, our skin decaying. We spend all this time building our kingdoms, thinking about our kingdoms, everything we're going to do with our kingdoms. Boom, you're gone. The only kingdom that matters is the kingdom of God. So seek his kingdom when? First. All these other things will be added to you. Seek his kingdom. Look for his kingdom. Pray for his kingdom. Be confident Jesus is coming back. Next, be confident there's life after death. Say it with me. Be confident there's life after death. If the transfiguration teaches us anything, it teaches us this. Talk about inspiring. Now the primary context is Jesus coming and Jesus's kingdom. That's the context of the transfiguration. But there is a secondary context I want you to see. The secondary context is the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus. There's life after death. Two of the transfiguration accounts clearly convey this truth. These words are taught before the transfiguration takes place. In Mark chapter 8, 31. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, scribes, be killed, and after three days, what? Rise again. Luke chapter 9 is the other one. The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, scribes, be killed, and be raised up when? On the third day. And so within the context of the transfiguration, we have the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. The transfiguration is proof that death is not the end and there's glory after suffering. Matthew 17, 2 through 3. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His garments become white as light. Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. What an encouragement to Jesus. Jesus knows the cross is before him. What an encouragement this time is. The transfiguration in this time with Moses and Elijah. Why? Because it teaches that the glory on the Mount of the Transfiguration looks beyond the suffering of Mount Calvary. The glory on the Mount of Transfiguration says, look beyond the suffering of Mount Calvary. Look at what's coming after Mount Calvary. This is the preview. This is the trailer. There's glory after suffering. There's life after death. What an encouragement to see Moses and Elijah. Here's an artistic rendering. Just try to picture yourself on this mountain with Jesus being transfigured. Moses and Elijah there. And you're there as one of those three disciples. Two choice servants of God are very much alive. Moses and Elijah. Think about this. Two very different men. Two different periods of history. They didn't even overlap. Two individuals who had long ago gone to heaven. Moses had died, and God was there with him, and God personally buried him. Deuteronomy 34 5. Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he that is God buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. And no, but no man knows his burial place to this day. Talk about having a private burial. God alone. With his friend Moses. That he spoke face to face with. And he buries him. So Moses is there. Alive after his death. You also have Elijah. Elijah never died. We're told in Second 2 Kings 2.11. As they were going along, he and Elisha, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah goes up by a whirlwind into heaven. Man, that's how I want to go. How about you? That's unbelievable. And so you have God very involved with the death of Moses, burying his servant. And then you have God sending a angelic Uber to go get Elijah. I mean, what is up with this? And now both of these guys are with the Lord Jesus Christ conversing with him. And what are they talking about? Luke 9, 30 through 31. They're talking with him. Verse 31, peering in glory. They were speaking of his departure. Jesus' departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Wow, more encouragement for Jesus. Why? Because they're talking about his departure. In other words, Jesus is not staying on the cross. And Jesus is not staying in the tomb. And Jesus isn't staying on the earth. He is going to rise and he is going to ascend. The glory of the Mount of Transfiguration says, look beyond the suffering of Mount Calvary. And some of you need to do that. You need to look beyond the suffering of this world and realize what's coming there is suffering in this world. There is pain in this world. There is heartache in this world. And he's saying, would you capture a glimpse of what's to come? What's to come is heaven. What's to come is glory. This world, this time on this earth is so very short. You have so much coming. He's saying, capture that. Look at that. What I have coming for you. What an encouragement to you and me is the transfiguration. Listen. Listen. Jesus' transfiguration is a preview of our glorified bodies. Understand that. Uh, let me just remind you of an important truth in 1 John 3, 2. Read this verse with me. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as what, yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be Like him, because we will see him just as he is. One day you will have a glorified body like Jesus' body. Who here is ready for a new body? That's what you're going to have. Understand that. There is glory after suffering. This is a broken world. There's disease and there's pain, there's accidents, there's death, there's sorrow. They're suffering. Here's the good news, Romans chapter eight. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. It doesn't even compare the pain you're facing right now. It's nothing. It's it's just incredible. And and not only this but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves we groan within ourselves yes we groan we know this world isn't right we know our bodies are broken we know there's sin everywhere present we groan waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our body come lord jesus come lord jesus you're getting a new body here's more good news revelation 21 He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No longer any death. No longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne says, say it with me, Behold, I am making all things new. That is good news. Glorified bodies like Jesus, glory after suffering. May I remind you there's life after death. Jesus speaking to Martha about Lazarus. John eleven twenty five, 25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He asked the question. Do you believe this? Are you convinced of this? He's saying, believe in this. Martha and all of us here. We live After we die, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less, what, days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. That is amazing grace. There's more encouraging news, though. He's with Moses and he's with Elijah. Now, I want you to capture this, because this is a preview of heaven. This is a preview of what's to come. This is a, this is a, a trailer, of what's going to take place in the future. So he has Moses and he has Elijah, and I want you to notice this. Conversations are taking place among God's children in heaven long after they're gone. And it's conversations taking place and fellowship between believers who lived in different time periods. And not only that, we're taught here that seemingly we will be recognizable, even in glorified bodies. We will know each other, converse with one another, and fellowship with one another. Be confident. There is life after death. Here's another one. Be confident, Peter says, prayer is powerful. Say it with me. Be confident, prayer is powerful. Please don't forget this. The transfiguration of Jesus takes place during his praying. We see this recorded in Luke chapter 9's account of the transfiguration. He took along Peter and James and John and went up on the mountain to what? Pray. And while he was praying, praying the appearance of his face became different and his clothes became white and gleaming. And Matthew 17 says his face shone like the sun. His garments became white as light. And Mark chapter 9 says his garments became radiant, exceedingly white like no launder on earth could whiten them. So Jesus' face is transfigured, shining like the sun. His clothes radiate this brilliant whiteness. And And now it didn't happen every time Jesus prayed, but it happens during prayer. Do you remember Moses was changed? He was changed during prayer, spending time with God. Exodus thirty four twenty nine. Came about when Moses came, uh, was coming down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of testimony were in Moses' hand, that he was coming down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him, Time with God altered his appearance. Time in prayer altered his appearance. Time with God changes you. Time in prayer changes us. Don't miss this. Time with God changes us. Time in prayer changes us. Now, I don't necessarily think our skin is going to shine, but we cannot help but be changed when we spend time with God. When we humble ourselves in prayer before a holy God, it changes us. When we surrender to his will in prayer, whatever, will, whatever your will be, that changes us. When we decide to trust in his sovereignty. Even though we don't understand why this is happening or what's going on. That changes us. When, when, we, when we fully depend on his strength. Because we can't do it anymore. And we come to him. That changes us. And when we come before him. And we worship our God. Pouring out our lives to him. It changes us. We can't help but be changed. Uh, Our skin may not shine, but our countenance is changed. I I want you to understand our demeanor is transformed. Listen, you don't need a facelift, people. You need a prayer lift. That's what you need. You don't need a facelift. You need a prayer lift. This is the cure for saggy, sulky faces everywhere. And there's plenty of saggy, sulky faces of God's children in church. You know what you need? You need time with Jesus. That's what you need. Some of you, some of us look like we've been sucking on lemons all day. This is the cure for the saggy, sulky face. When we humble ourselves before God and we spend time in prayer, and some of us, honestly, we don't spend much time in prayer. And so we walk around with a lot of saggy, sulky faces. Whining about this, complaining about that, griping about this, slandering about that person, gossiping about that person. I think we need a little more time in prayer. And maybe it should start with confessing sin. Saying, God, forgive me. And let God transform us, our demeanor, our countenance be confident prayer is powerful here's one more thing be confident listen to jesus say that with me be confident listen to jesus this is the clear message from god the father in this passage matthew 17 3 through 5 behold moses and elijah appeared to them talking with him peter here he goes said to jesus lord It is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles. One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And when he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Behold, this voice comes out of the cloud. This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Peter makes some mistakes now on the Mount of Transfiguration. And we get to learn some very valuable lessons from Peter's mistakes Number one is this, lesson number one. We don't have to comment on everything. Say that with me. We don't have to comment on everything. Say that to the person sitting next to you. We don't have to comment on everything. Mark's account reads this way, verse six. For he did not know what to answer. Can I give you a piece of advice? If you don't know what to answer, don't say anything. Peter, just be quiet. Just stop and think and keep your mouth shut. Think about what Peter says here. I want to make a tabernacle for everybody here. Uh, why would heavenly visitors with heavenly bodies need temporary stick houses? That's what a tabernacle... What's he thinking? We're all going to camp out on the, on the mountain? What's he doing here? You almost get the impression is like a child interrupting an adult conversation. Just push them away, you know. Get out of here, kid. Sometimes it's best to just sit still and be quiet and listen. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 2 puts it this way. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Say it with me. Therefore, let your words be few. We don't have to comment on everything. Here's a second lesson. Lesson number two. We're not staying on the mountaintop. There's still work to be done in the valley. Peter wants to camp out up there. And God the Father is saying, you're not camping out up here. The mountaintop experiences are wonderful in our lives. We get to bask in the glory and, and they give us perspective and they refresh us and they excite us and they strengthen us. But we can't stay on the mountaintop. There's work left to be done. There's toil and there's struggle and there's sweat. See, some of us think the Christian life on earth is supposed to be all mountaintop. I'm never supposed to struggle and it's not right if I suffer. And if I've experienced some pain, this, what are you talking about? The ultimate, the ultimate mountaintop is yet to come. This earth and a lot of it is a valley. And we need to work for God and struggle for God and trust in God and grow in God. And there's nothing wrong with you who are suffering. It's part of life in this valley right now. There's work and there's service to be done... ...but there's future glory coming. Here's a third lesson. Jesus has no equals. Peter, don't you dare equate Moses with Jesus... ...or Elijah with Jesus. Jesus has no equals... ...and the Father makes this quick clarification. This is my beloved son... ...with whom I am well pleased. Similar words were said at Jesus' baptism. This is my only begotten son... Second person of the Trinity. God Almighty who takes on flesh. Is born of a virgin as a child. A baby. Who will go to the cross and die for our sins. And rise again to save us. That's who Jesus is. He has no rivals. He is unequaled. He is Jesus. And here's one more lesson. Lesson number four. Listen and obey. Say it with me. Listen and obey. All of a sudden, while he's still speaking, a bright cloud overshadows them. Great, Pete. Now look what you've done. And the Shekinah glory of God moves in. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him! Exclamation point. And Peter, once again, is rebuked. This is unbelievable. Think about poor Peter. He's rebuked by the son of God. Get behind me, Satan. Now he's rebuked by God the Father. Listen to him. Listen means obey. And it's in the present tense. Listen to him and keep listening to him. And don't you stop listening to Jesus. Nothing will get us in trouble quicker than not listening to Jesus. Nothing will get you in trouble quicker in your marriage than not listening to Jesus. Nothing will get you in trouble quicker in your finances than not listening to Jesus. Nothing will get us in trouble quicker in this life than not listening to Jesus. And maybe God Almighty from heaven is thundering in a voice with an exclamation point this morning. Listen to him. Because you have found yourself in so much trouble. It's time to listen to Jesus. Be confident. Your faith is no fairy tale. These are first-hand accounts. Jesus is coming back. There's life after death. Prayer is powerful. Listen to Jesus.